So this morning, we are continuing our study. Uh, We began this about 10 weeks or so ago on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. King Jesus gathers his disciples, and they're on this hillside, and he begins to teach them what it looks like, all right, when the king comes on the scene and begins to take his world back and rightly orders things how he intended them to be. And as he invites a people, he's forming a people, all right? That's what's happening in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, is the king is now on the scene. And we're learning about, as we've titled this series, The Way of the King, what it looks like when King Jesus says, hey, this is what it looks like to live under my rule and reign. You've been chasing freedom. You've been chasing identity and other things, and they've only gotten you stuck and enslaved. And he says, if you come under my rule and reign, you actually find freedom. In this counterintuitive, upside-down way that the kingdom of God works, Jesus invites us into that. So we've been exploring this for several weeks together now and looking at, okay, how how can we actually live this out, this life that Jesus invites us into? And so this morning, we're gonna begin chapter seven, a very, there's some verses in here that are confounding, confusing. Uh, There's also some that we hear kind of, I think, plucked out of context oftentimes and and thrown around, and we'll talk through some of that. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter seven, verses one to 12. So here's what we want you to do. It is so helpful to follow along God's word, all right? There are paperback Bibles on those back tables. If you didn't bring a Bible, I'd encourage you to get up, grab one of those. You can find the passage starting on page 900. You also have the option to get out your phone and go to cpwp.life. And you'll see on the second card as you swipe over, it says message notes. So the text this morning, some of the things that are up on the slides, uh, this morning is all listed there. There's space, you can hit a button that says add notes, you can take notes, you can email them to yourself afterwards so that we might actually like embody this and remember this and uh, by God's grace be praying through these things throughout the week. And so I'm gonna go ahead and read this, Matthew 7, 1 to 12. And as I read God's word, would you go ahead, if you're able to stand as I read God's word. Matthew 7, 1 to 12, begins this way. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Verse seven, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So at first reading, I don't know if this is how you're struck by this passage, but I remember I'm I'm reading this, I'm preparing, reading commentaries. It's almost at first glance, it's like Jesus just seems to be 
bunch of disparate topics. Like, okay, why is he talking about you know, judging? And then he's got stuff about pigs and dogs. And then he's got stuff about, about prayer. And then there's what has come to be known as the, the golden rule, right? That you see there in verse 12. It says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And he says this crazy statement for this is the law and the prophets. Sort of like, this is a summary of all of these things. And what I want to put before you this morning is I think the thread that ties this together is us wrestling through as a community this morning, how can we actually live out what is here in verse 12 as the golden rule? That all of these things are not disparate topics that you know Jesus is just like, oh, what else can I say? Let me throw a little bit about this and a little bit about this. But rather, there's this thread that runs through about how you and I relate to other people. And the calling as the church, if we're going to point our community to Jesus, is to do an honest assessment of like, hey, how are we doing in that? How are we embodying this golden rule? Do you actually think of others? Do you, do you want others, you know, like, are you actively like, hey, here's how I would want to be treated and seeking to do the same for others? Or are you caught up in just this sort of self-movement, this narcissism that just we get captivated by like what I want and what I need. And yeah, I might give lip service to Jesus and his kingdom, but truth be known, it's about me and my kingdom. And so we feel that oftentimes. And Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 this is not how I've called you to live. If you want to find life, if you want to find the abundant life, if you want to have joy and peace and a deep satisfaction in the midst of the difficulties of life, he's like, I am calling you as a community to live this out. And if we can do that, by the grace of God, there's some real transformation that can take place. And so if we're going to talk about this, or what it would look like to live the golden rule, I want to put this before you, then we need to talk about the things that Jesus talks about. We need to talk about planks, pearls, and provision. Now, Jesus talks about, he says, the log in your own eye. Other translations will say planks. Log did not work with the alliteration, so we're going planks, pearls, and provision, all right? Not trying to critique Jesus' sermon, but man, come on, alliteration, here we go. All right, so planks, pearls, and provision. Let's talk about these things for a moment. We'll look at these various sections and see they're all intimately tied to this call to live out this golden rule that we would actually care deeply for other people. And so the planks that we must see, look with me again at verses one to five. It starts out and it says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged when the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, so you get these opening words. Jesus says, judge not, and he's saying that you be not judged. Like, hey, this is gonna turn on you. Like if you're walking around constantly critiquing, constantly judging, constantly condemning, like you're having that sort of posture, like other people are just gonna be like, oh, so you think you're perfect? You think you're God's gift to whatever? Like they are gonna find the mistakes, the shortcomings, all the things, and will be quick to point those out. And Jesus is like, whoa, you don't want that. He says, judge not. Now, I think we can say for a moment, all right, um, in a culture that is increasingly biblically illiterate, people tend to like this verse, though, culturally. It might be our culture's favorite verse. You can't judge me. Don't judge. Who are you to judge? And it's worth asking because one of the critiques of the church, you read study after study, follow like the Barner group, different people, like one of the things they'll constantly put out is this, that people outside of the church regard the church as judgmental, as hypocritical. And there's some of that that we absolutely, we need to own. And so part of this this morning is Jesus in love confronting us as his church and saying, hey, what, in what ways are we not embodying the golden rule? We have a judgmental, a critical spirit. 
But we do need to ask because sometimes this verse gets plucked out of context. And she's like, don't judge. It's like, well, let me ask this. Have you ever asked this question, right? Is it ever okay to, to judge? Because what Jesus is getting at here, what we need to see if we're going to rightly understand, when this word judge gets translated, it kind of has a, a wide range of meanings. So on the one hand, it can simply mean like discernment. We're not anti-discernment, okay? Like you should use discernment. If you're maybe, let's think about families again. Like maybe you're a parent, all right? And somebody knocks on your, your door, all right? It's a strange man and he's, you've never met him before and he's, you know, he's never, you've never interacted with him before. You're pretty sure he's not a neighbor. There's some weird looking van parked outside. And, and anyway, and he's just like, hey, you guys, um, you guys wanna go like, Parents, I'll, I'll watch your kids if you want to do like a date night or something, right? Um, and you just say, oh, well, cool, yeah, right? And you just send them, now you wouldn't do that, right? Because what? You're using discernment. Silly example, right? But like, we can't, we can't step back and be like, dude, you got to give them your kids. What kind of judgmental person are you, right? Like, how dare you be so judgmental? Like, we are all judging all the time. Some of it's healthy, good, and right, because even the people that are like, don't judge, they're, they're judging you in that moment, right? So there's this vicious cycle that's happening. Jesus isn't speaking about discernment. Read the book of Proverbs. You see over and over and over again this call to exercise wisdom and discernment. We gotta pray for wisdom and discernment. We gotta ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide. It's not this call for us as the people of God to be the most naive people on the planet. Just when everybody is trying to sell you something, you just, where do I sign? You never read the fine print. No, 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 like exercise discernment. What Jesus is speaking about here, though, is a posture that moves from critiquing to condemning. That you, in that moment, when I get into this spirit of judgment, I'm not seeing the person as an image bearer of God. I'm not seeing their beauty and their worth and their dignity and that they reflect and they carry the glory of God even in all of their frailty and brokenness. They might have said something that offended me. There might be something that I disagree about them with. And rather than exercising healthy discernment, the heart quickly runs to a place of condemnation. How has that been for you? Think about the past week. Where did your heart move just from healthy judgment and discernment to a place of condemnation? Because maybe it started out with healthy discernment. But then you find your heart drifting to this place. I find my heart drifting to this place of self-righteousness. And what is happening in that moment is I look down my nose at this person. I think I'm better. I think I deserve to be in the seat of the judge. And I'm here to critique them. Ultimately, I'm condemning them. I am not speaking truth into their life. But rather, whether I speak the words verbally or I just think these thoughts, I am seeing them somehow as the other. That they're less than the image bearers that they are. And Jesus says that should have no place in the church. John Stott in his commentary said it this way, to sum up, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, all right, but rather a plea to be generous. He's not just talking financially here. Jesus did not tell us to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers, which helped distinguish us from animals, but rather to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. When we move to this place of judging others, we are setting ourselves up in the place where only God deserves to be, where only God can rightly judge. And he's like, get off of that throne. You don't belong there. And so we gotta ask ourselves, if we're gonna be a people that embody the golden rule, 
that we care deeply for the needs of others, that we have this winsome witness out into the community. I think that's the thread that ties all this together is Jesus is inviting us to like say, hey, we want you to be messengers, heralds of this good news. But if we're constantly judging, constantly critiquing, constantly feeling this need to point things out and it's leading to this heart of condemnation, we're gonna miss it. So Jesus is asking us to notice the log in our own eye. Look with me how he continues. And he begins to use this sort of illustration, this little parable, verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log or this plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What Jesus is speaking of here, did you notice, like, as the story continues, he's saying, hey, get rid of the log, get rid of the plank, and then you actually can do the necessary and needed work as somebody that cares deeply for somebody, not from a posture of condemnation, but, hey, let me help bring some restoration, some correction here, that you might actually do the the work there of removing that speck. And so just so we get this, all right, um, sometimes people read the Bible and they're like, ah, it's kind of boring or this, like, if, if Jesus was here with us, one of the things I think we would find very quickly that might shock some of us is the dude's funny, all right? Like, he's humorous, he's using these illustrations, they're kind of crazy and out there, so let's just play this out for a moment, all right? So Jesus is saying, hey, look at this, this language. How can you say to your brother, all right, take the speck out of your own eye when there's this log in your own eye, all right? So it's this sort of image, okay? So imagine I roll up to you, all right? Now, Lest you think I know what to do with things like this, I called, I texted my dad last night. I'm like, hey, do you have any like one by fours or anything? Because I got nothing at the house because I don't know what I'm doing. But um, I had the other thing. I had had toothpicks, all right? So um, this would be the image. Sort of the language that's being used is like this stuck in the eye, right? That's painful. You should get that out, all right? But if I rolled up to you and you got some piece of dust or some piece of, you know, small piece of wood in there and I'm rolling up like this, right? Like, hey, let me get that for you. Like, you're like, wait, wait, you're right. How do I even get close to you, right? I'm like smacking you in the face, right? With all, all of this. It's this ridiculous imagery. It's what Jesus is saying. When we roll up on somebody and we're like, hey, I'm here to critique you. I'm here to help you. And you're like, hey, whoa, whoa, bro. Like, just why don't you remove this first and then maybe we can talk. That's what Jesus is doing. Now, the people then, I think they would have understood right away, like, oh yeah, that's, that's a weird image. That's a funny image. And what Jesus is speaking of there is the log is the spirit of condemnation. Great book, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard speaks of it this way. He says, condemnation then is the board in our eye. If you're wondering what he means by that, all right? He knows that the mere fact that we are condemning someone shows our heart does not have the kingdom rightness he has been talking about. So let me just ask you, how many people, if they could really even hear your, like actually know your thoughts, would see you walking up to them, would see me walking up to them with this plank, with this log in our eye? He says, condemnation, especially with its usual accompaniments of anger and contempt and self-righteousness, it's just this little cocktail there of things that all blend together, blinds us to the reality of the other person. We don't see them then as a person. We don't see the Imago Dei. We might see them as a problem to be fixed. We might see them as somebody other. We cannot see clearly how to assist our brother because we can't actually see our brother. He continues, he says, we will never know how to truly help him until we have grown into the kind of person who does not condemn, period. 
Getting the board out, he says, it's not a matter of correcting something that is wrong in our life so that we will be able to condemn our dear ones better or more effectively, so to speak. Even maybe you've heard this down through the years, like, well, hey, you've got to kind of deal with like this, you know, maybe you got some of your own issues, deal with that. And that, sure, right and true and good. But the, the main issue, because if I went up to you and I was trying to be helpful to you, you're trying to be helpful to me, and the, the requirement was, get all of your stuff together in your life and then you can come help me with the speck that's in my eye, I would never get any help. You would never get any help. Why? Because none of us can fully get it all together, right? So Jesus isn't giving this impossible thing where he's like, hey, like you gotta be perfect and then you can go and help other people. He's like, no, no, no. What I'm telling you to get rid of, to repent of, to put to death, the mortification of sin is this kind of language here, is like remove the log from your eye. Like some things in life are complicated and they're nuanced. It's like, oh, there's so many layers to this. He's like, no, 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 I'm not talking about anything complicated. There's a board protruding out of your face. Remove it. That's what he's driving at here, all right? And in that place then, oh, here, now I can help you. Here's the speck. Here's this piece of sawdust. Here's this little splinter. Like we can work on that. And it would be welcomed by the person because they're not anti you helping them. They're anti you coming at them from a place of judgment as the ultimate, as if you're the authority, as if I'm the authority in this condemning spirit. This is where we have to continually go back to. I'm convinced of this, that some of us, I'll say this for myself, all right, I'm most condemning when I feel like I'm a condemned person. Meaning, when I walk around unsure of my identity in Christ, that everything has been paid for, all of these things, when I have, a conde- like, when I have this worry in my heart, kind of deep-seated through all the layers, that like, maybe I'm not enough, maybe I don't measure up, guess what the default is? It's junior high all over again. I'm insecure, let me go ahead and make fun of this person so I'll feel better about myself. That same thing carries on. Those that condemn oftentimes feel condemned. And we got to run back to the gospel. We got to run back to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We got to celebrate that reality. The only way we're going to live out this golden rule to actually be the church that Jesus has called us to be is to realize that because of the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus, that he died in your place and in my place, the reason I'm not standing as a condemned person is because Jesus was condemned for me. And if you've embraced the way of Jesus, you know that he stood in your place. He died the death that you deserve. He's risen from the dead and he's coming back. He's going to split the sky one day. He's going to come back and he's going to set everything right. We're going to be in the presence of God. And in that place, we won't feel any sort of condemnation. We'll just feel the presence of God, our Father, as he originally intended things to be. And so we gotta come back to this. And maybe you feel critiqued by people, and you need to know this, that in Christ, he offers you, listen, the rest of the world may condemn you, but if you're with me, if you're on team Jesus, all right, if you're part of his family, there's no condemnation. Don't believe those lies. Don't listen to that person as the enemy tries to use them. They're lies from the pit of hell. You're not condemned. Jesus was condemned in your place. That's the good news that he's talking about. And so what we've got to do is realize, okay, Jesus, how dare I try and condemn somebody? Let me get the plank out of my own eye. Let me go to him for forgiveness for that spirit of condemnation. He paid for that on the cross. It's not like he's like, oh, bro, I died for everything but that. No, he's died for it all. 
And now we move into verse six, all right, the pearls that we possess. And so as that grips our heart, here's what I think happens. And verse six is very weird and very confusing, all right? So I'm gonna try my best give you what I think is happening here. You could find lots of different commentaries and uh, scholars that'll say various things. But what I think is happening here is when our hearts are gripped by the reality of like, oh my goodness, like I've been saved. I don't stand as a condemned person anymore. It's a right and good thing that you would want other people to experience that. Maybe you can think back. Maybe your story is such like, hey, you remember that day of your salvation? You remember God at work, all right? And maybe you immediately were like, I gotta tell people about this, all right? Hey, we got Thanksgiving rolling around. I'm gonna talk to that crazy uncle. I'm gonna talk to whoever, right? And so you start doing that. And unfortunately, what happens is not how you experience the gospel as this glorious, beautiful thing. Huh, they're not as interested. They're like, you know, Pass the sweet potatoes. I don't want to hear about Jesus right now, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe it gets very hostile. Maybe it gets awkward. Maybe people don't actually care. This is some of what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you possess this pearl. And I think the way we have to understand it is in the same book, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says this in verses 45 to 46. He's describing the kingdom. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It means this, when you come to a point of understanding that Jesus has been condemned for you, that you're now part of this, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, that is the pearl of great price. And you're willing to lose everything for this thing. It's like, I'm possessing this. This pearl here is what matters. I think this is what Jesus is talking about. And so then he says these words in verse six, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, you see why this is confusing and why it might feel like sort of a disparate sort of topic that's coming up? Because I thought Jesus just said, don't judge. Now, I don't know about you, but if you, you know, roll into work tomorrow or you go to school or you're talking with your neighbor and you're like, hey, what's up, pig, right? Like, it's probably not gonna go well. It shouldn't go well. Like, is Jesus telling us now, hey, forget all that stuff I said about judging. There are certain people that are dogs and pigs, all right? Like, is that really what he's driving at? And there's some teachings and interpretations of this that, that would say, and I think there's some things that are right and true in this of, hey, do you continue to give the gospel, this beautiful pearl to people that are resistant to it? There are passages where Jesus says, like, you give the gospel and you shake the dust off your feet. Sure, like, yes, there, there's, again, discretion, wisdom to be used, like to not just keep like running into a brick wall over and over and over again. But I think there's something a little bit more nuanced, there's something a little bit more that, that's happening here is we need to ask, all right, as we think about loving people well, and we've got this pearl that is the gospel, the one that gives us this right standing, all right, the work of Jesus gives us the right standing, there's no condemnation. Let's ask ourselves this, like this pig apparently wants to like run after us and trample, like why is the pig upset? And some of you are looking at it like, oh, isn't that cute? And some of you are like, bacon. I don't know where you're on that spectrum, right? But Stay with me for just a moment, okay? Why is the pig upset? Well, the pig's main goal in life, just think about it, right? I think it's pretty simple. The job description for the pig is eat more, get bigger, right? Like, that's it. Doesn't know where it's gonna end up eventually, but it's just like more food, more food, more food. So it's hungry. And so you come up and there's this hungry animal, this hungry pig, and you start throwing these things that you're like, these are precious, they're valuable, they're amazing, the, these pearls. The pig is like, 
might try it at first, break a tooth, and be like, this, I can't eat this. This is stupid. Like if you're like ferociously hungry, right? You're just starving and somebody puts something before you that's not edible. You're like, what? You might find yourself getting more angry in that moment. What Jesus is asking us to consider is this, that the disposition of the human heart, unless God awakens them, is to be finding, filling their hunger with success in career, a home, a vacation, relationships, the amount of money, all these sorts of things, all good things that the Lord has given to us, right? What I can buy, how well people think of me, and the disposition, all right, prior to us meeting Jesus, the language here is almost like, hey, we're all like these hungry pigs, and we're trying to just fill our bellies, and we don't always right away embrace what is this pearl that's being offered to us. We can't get all self-righteous and be like, I can't believe they're not receiving this word because the reality is prior to God awakening me, giving me a new heart, making me alive, taking me who is dead, all right? And if you're like, well, I'm the one that responded. No, not really because dead people don't respond. Jesus had to wake you up first, give you faith, and then you respond. Like all of those things, it's all dependent on God. And so the reality is like, hey, I'm the pig in the story, right? Like this was my, prior to God's work in my life, I would have been resistant to these things. So the pig's upset because the pig's like, I'm looking to satisfy my hunger in a different way. You're offering me something. Now, it's a beautiful thing. The pig is looking for things in purely useful, utilitarian ways. The pearl, in that sense, is not useful. But what do we know as followers of Jesus? The pearl is beautiful. The pearl is worth celebrating. The pearl gives life. But we can't expect everybody just to get it immediately. And so I love that Jesus says, as you give your pearls, like, let me just ask you this real quickly, all right? We could spend more time in this, but what to do with your pearls? I think the invitation here is you've got a story, all right? You can't convince somebody to believe in Jesus. You can't give them a, take their dead heart and make it, make it alive, their heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. You can't do that. So for one, evangelism, sharing your faith, just breathe a little bit, right? It's not on you. Yet God invites you to what? To bear witness the reality of the gospel in your life. I think you can share your pearl. You can talk about your story. You can talk about the struggle for, with, with faith, the doubts, the insecurities you still have, but how Jesus has proven himself faithful. You can share all these things. Will you give your pearls? Now, you might still run into resistance, but the question for us to consider, if, there's, if we follow this thread of the golden rule, the reality is, listen, stop trying to pressure people into the kingdom, share your story, be faithful in that. One of the things we're doing as a church, just as a quick aside, all right, and so uh, this hope is to launch this week is we wanna even do a better job of just telling stories within our community to bear witness, to encourage one another, but also in a, a world that there's opportunities, just the mediums that are out there, like podcasts and such, to be able to get the stories out so more people might hear. And so we have launching this week a new attempt at that, all right, so forumpodcast.com you can go to, all right, and anyway, you can, there's a little trailer for the first season that's there, don't go play it right now, okay, I don't wanna hear my voice other than this one at the moment, all right? But, um, but we're gonna have a series of interviews and from folks within our congregation. Why? We wanna tell the stories. We wanna, in essence, here's the pearl that's being offered. So what? So more people can actually be encouraged. But at the end of the day, here's where I think this is leading us to. This is how this all threads together. You can, can continue, and I can continue, until like we're, you know, just kind of like blue in the face, just like pushing this on people. 
It's a pearl, it's amazing. The pig's running at you, you're like, it's a pearl, you should want this. Or, what does Jesus do right after verse six? He starts talking about prayer. If we're going to love people well, if we're going to serve people well, yes, we bear witness, yes, we talk about our pearls, we share our stories, but at the end of the day, we have to become a people increasingly of prayer. So you can push all you want, or you can get on your knees and you can cry out to God and you can pray. And you can intercede on behalf of your friend, your family member, your neighbor, your coworker that doesn't know Jesus. There's resistance, sure. You maybe shared your story, but guess what? You were resistant at one point. And God in his kindness kept bringing people into your life that faithfully shared bit by bit. And so let's look at this. There's the provision that is ours. We'll close with these last few verses. So then Jesus moves immediately. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil, right? which is just a great reminder for any parent that's just like, hi, I'm doing a pretty good job at this parent thing. No, Jesus said, you're evil, okay? So just, there you go, all right? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven good give, think, good, oh, I can't talk, give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is like, hey, you've been throwing your pearls, all right? Given what's sacred and holy. Keep telling your stories, keep doing it, but here, here's what I need you to know. He goes immediately. This is not just some random topic. This flows logically, sequentially. You get to this point, you're like, ask, seek, knock. And here's this promise. As you notice, there's promises embedded and there's this promised spiritual provision. For one, know this. If you're somebody here this morning in the gospel, Jesus has never been beautiful to you. You've maybe shown up at church being like, well, maybe this will fix my marriage. Maybe this will fix my finances. Maybe this will give me you know, some friends or maybe there's something spiritual. And you're just kind of coming from this utilitarian point of view, right? Jesus does fix a lot of things. But at the end of the day, the call is to worship him, all right? Because in the new heavens, new earth, there's no problems to fix anymore. So it's not gonna be like, well, we don't need Jesus. No, he's there for us to worship. That's what you're created for. It's what I'm created for. You see him as beautiful. And here's the thing. You might have been living a life of constant rejection, all right? You're angry. You're like that pig or that, that dog. You're like, I don't want any of this. But the promise is here. The moment that you ask, the moment that you seek, the moment that you knock, regardless of your past, regardless of the sins committed in the past, regardless of the sins committed against you, regardless of what the future holds, in that moment, if you come and say, Jesus I'm desperate for you. I want to see you as beautiful. Move into my life. I want to submit to you. All of that. These promises here, this is not some sort of name it and claim it prosperity like, God, give me a yacht. And all I asked for it, I sought it, and so therefore I have to have it. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about physical blessings. It's talking about in the spiritual realm here. Not that God's anti the physical. We talked about that in the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago. But the promises embedded here are this. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the voice of condemnation that still speaks over you, the shame that you carry. Jesus died for it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. You and I on our own will never get to a place where we can declare it is finished. We've cleaned ourselves up. We actually just bury ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper. And Jesus is the one who declares it is finished. And so there's a promise. If you're that person, there's also 
a promise here. Not if you're the follower of Jesus that anyone that you pray for is, this is a guarantee that they're gonna meet Jesus. It's a guarantee that if they cry out, Jesus will come and he'll fellowship with them and he will take control of their life and they'll be able to enjoy his presence. He'll give the spirit all of those things. But there is this invitation though for us to join Jesus in prayer. Like, what do we do with the child dedications a moment ago, right? I I say to the parents, like, God loves your child even more more than you do. So like, we we join in this prayer, but it's not like, all right, I'm here and I got this same, I got this like weighty responsibility devoid of God. No, that's not it at all. Same with any friend, any family member, anybody you care about. It's a relationship, you and God, all right? Bearing witness, and it's more about God than it is you. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke of this in Life Together, almost finished here. He says this, See if we can wrap our minds around this. It's because Christ stands between me and others. I dare not desire direct fellowship with them. Like if you think it's all on you, it's like, no, no, no. It's Christ, it's Christ in you, what God is doing in the world, all right? As only Christ can speak to me in such a way that I may be saved, so others too can be saved only by Christ himself. This means that I must release the other person from every attempt of mine to regulate, coerce, and dominate him with my love. How how do you release that? You pray. You say, Father, I can't change this person's heart. I can't change my own heart. I need your help. When you ask for forgiveness, God grants it. When you've had a condemning spirit and you ask for forgiveness and grace, God grants it. When another person turns to Jesus that you've been praying for and you weren't able to make any headway, guess what? When they turn and they ask, Jesus answers. It's his responsibility in that sense. Thus, the spiritual love will speak to Christ about a brother. This is key. More than to a brother about Christ. Speak to your brother about Christ. Speak to your sister about Christ. But know this, right? Is he saying? It will speak to Christ about a brother more than to a brother about Christ. Like, are you praying for that person? It knows that the most direct way to others is always through prayer to Christ and that love of others is wholly dependent upon the truth in Christ. And that's why God says these words. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You've got a good heavenly Father and he loves to bestow his grace. And it's an invitation for all of us. If you've never trusted in Christ, it's an invitation for you to come and be part of the family. If you've trusted in the grace of God, but as we all know, it's this ongoing work. There's still contempt, there's still anger, there's frustration, there's anxiety, there's condemnation, this critical spirit. Like we go to God and we say, Lord, rid me of that. Give me your grace. And guess what? He doesn't give you a snake. He doesn't give you a stone. He doesn't give you a self-help, seven steps to improve your life. He says, I gave you Jesus. He paid for it all. So we talked about it at the very beginning, like maybe our culture, like, you know, kind of, we, we like this verse sort of plucked out of context, do not judge. We also know there's a popular verse, I think it's helpful to go back to, and we'll close with this. You see it sometimes on signs and football stadiums and, and things like that. But look at the language here. What might be a very familiar set of verses, like ask right now, Holy Spirit, let me hear these with a kind of fresh set of ears, a fresh pair of eyes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That Jesus was so concerned about you and me that he was willing to empty himself. Philippians 2, he left everything. For God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. How was the world saved? Because Jesus was condemned in your place and in my place. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But the promise to ask, to seek, to knock is this, that your Father will extend grace. He will welcome in any that have run away. He welcomes us all. Will we rest in that? And so I want to close this in prayer. I want to give us a moment to respond. The worship team's going to come back up and we'll continue in our service. But let's fight here for just a couple of moments. Trusting that God's spirit is present. God's spirit is working. Quiet your heart. So let me, I'll lead us in a time of prayer and spend some time. What do you need to repent of? What has the Lord brought to mind? Where's that critical spirit, that condemning spirit? Where have you rejected the gospel and you need to believe that you would receive the grace of God and that we might rejoice together? So let me pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for your ultimate provision. Thank you that when we go to you and we ask for things to fill our bellies, that you gave us something better, that you gave us the pearl of great price, that Jesus, you were willing to enter into our story, that you were willing to come and to chase us down, that you're willing to die the death that we deserved. And by your strength and your power, you conquered Satan's sin and death by rising again. And so we rest in that reality. God, I pray for any here this morning, God, whose hearts might have been hardened, have been hardened uh, to the gospel, that there's been this rejection of this, this pearl of great price, that bit by bit, God, would you open them up uh, to who you are? Would you give them a heart that would beat for you? God, I pray for encouragement for those of us here, God, that we've been praying for friends, family members, neighbors, God, people uh, that we interact with um, and we don't feel like... We just feel like there's a ton of resistance. God, help us to rest in the gospel. Help us to continue to become people of prayer that we wouldn't try and push and force, but rather we would rest and trust in you and your goodness and your kindness. And we would say, Jesus, we know you do miracles because you saved me and you can save anybody. And so spirit, I pray that you would lead and guide us right now. Lead us in a time of repentance and confession and arresting and celebrating your gospel. Bring people to mind even now, a spirit that we can be praying for, asking that they would come to know and to rejoice in the beauty and the wonder that is Jesus. And so God, hear our prayers now. We pray that you would get your glory and that we would experience a deep and abiding joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.